The scripture reading today is taken from Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you're seated, let me add my welcome to the welcomes you've already received. Uh, I'm Brant, one of the pastors here at the church. Um, Also, let me add a couple of additional notes about our announcements, because I think it's just pertinent that we bring it up. Um, One, because we will not be meeting here on Christmas Day, uh, next week is our last opportunity to give if you're going to, if you intend to give, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning um, at the church. So just keep that in mind if you're planning to make an Advent uh, contribution uh, through our give table or to, to give to our usual ministry giving uh, this year here. Also next week, um, we'll have to end a little bit early. So the give table will be coming down kind of quickly. So tonight's or today's kind of your day, I think, if you want to want to make an additional uh, contribution to the Advent campaign in particular. Also, uh, I wanted to just say a good word about the biblical counseling ministry. If you've not, if you've not made use of the biblical counseling ministry, and you are um, in a place in your life, and, and you're struggling with something, and you're like, you know, I wonder if maybe I could get some help here. I want to commend it to you. We've had an incredible number of people across all three churches that have been greatly blessed through the biblical counseling ministry at Christ City Church, and uh, I think that maybe because we have both Doug and Jonathan here at Christ City Kids Alone, that actually a funny things happen that maybe we don't utilize it as much as we might. Uh, because we maybe know them and we talk about it a lot, but we don't think that it's actually for us. Christ City, it's for us. It's for you here. Uh, in any area of your life where, where you are facing something that you'd like to, to grow in, or you feel feel stuck in your Christian walk, your Christian discipleship, uh, reach out to the Biblical Counseling Ministry. You can actually apply online on the website. I would also encourage you to read uh, what Andrea already brought up, that little article about uh, the, the Biblical Counseling Ministry. It's not just about Doug. Doug does a really good job. He doesn't like talking about himself. It's mostly just about the ministry and and what they're doing and, and the good things that they're seeking to, uh, to glorify. Christ in uh, in our city. Um, so just keep those things in mind. Keep those things in mind. Um, we're going to look at the Word of God now, and we're going to look at uh, this, this message on Advent. But before we do that, we need to ask the Lord's help. So would you pray with me? Glorious God, we, we come to you this morning with a lot of joy. Just joy in knowing that you have come for us, that grace has appeared through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, for those that um, maybe their minds and their hearts are, are far away from rejoicing in grace still this morning, I pray that you'd open them up. I pray that by the miracle and the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to see you. Just be full of wonder at your grace. God, I pray that we would be changed as you look at Jesus Christ, that we would just see him in all his glory and the love that you have for us and it would melt our hearts. Or that it would turn us away from sin and towards you in a life full of good works for your glory. God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, today is the third Sunday of Advent, but who's counting? I mean, how is it the third already? It's kind of crazy. 
Time just keeps going by quickly. And we're going to pick up where we left off uh, two weeks ago back in the book of Titus. So we had Pastor Brett come last week and share a bit about Christ City Church and on our vision and our mission as a church. It was a really wonderful time together. Uh, but now we're back again in our Advent series in Titus chapter 2. And this week, or this, this week, this year, in our Titus Advent series, we've been looking at the way that God's grace has appeared. It's come. It's shown up. Jesus Christ was born and he first saved us by his grace. We looked at that the first week of our Advent series. And today we're looking at the way that now he is changing us by his grace. We're going to look particularly at verse 12. And then next week we'll have Daniel come and preach for us. And we'll see the way that that Jesus is coming again. We have hope that all things will be made new by his grace as we anticipate him. And I think it's true that we need this grace. We need the salvation that God offers to us through Jesus Christ. And actually, perhaps we grow more aware of our need for Jesus in this ironic way at Christmas time. Because Christmas time is this funny thing, right? Where we see all this good, all this celebration uh, of this, this wonder. And then our lives are kind of held up in contrast against that season, right? Maybe if you're like me, you like to watch some Christmas specials. Anyone like watching Christmas specials? No? Okay, there's like three people here that like watching Christmas specials. Um, but at Christmas specials are interesting, right? Because you, you watch these characters and you admire their generosity and their sacrifice, especially if they're some of the older classic Christmas specials. And like, wow, like I admire those people. And you realize, like, I'm really not that person. <laughs> like, if I'm honest, that was a wonderful thing to watch, but I don't live my life like that. And we're confronted with, with a need for, for grace. Something's missing in our lives. Or maybe we're confronted with our need for grace in another way at Christmas time. Maybe it's when you're going to get together and you're going to gather with your family members. And it's like, oh man, it's going to be so great. It's going to be so full of love and self-giving and just joy. And then you get together with your family members. And you're like, man, I really don't want to see them again for a very long time. You know, I, like this, this did not go at all as planned. And actually part of the problem is just me. And you're just confronted with, you know, the ideal and then the reality. And you realize, I, there's, a, there's a problem here. I need some, some grace. Or maybe you idealize this perfect Christmas morning, right? And, and every gift is just so carefully and painstakingly chosen and gifted in generosity for the person. And then they, they receive it with such gratitude and joy. And then the reality comes and what happens on Christmas morning? Right? There's a lot of grumpy people. Didn't get what they wanted. Come on, mom and dad. I told you, you know. And, and there's frustrated parents that are just like, come on, my kids are just so ungrateful. What's the issue? You know? And, and the, the perfect idealized moment just kind of, you know, goes away and, and, and you missed it. And, and you're faced with the reality. See, Christmas, I think, is this ironic time when we're confronted in the words of the late pastor and regent professor, Eugene Peterson, that we aren't a race of free, masterly men of virtue and goodness. But rather, we're a race that can be described by our own poets and dramatists as bored, vexed, frantic, embittered, and sniffling. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Not the cheery tone you thought was going to happen in an Advent sermon, hey? It's a little painful. It's a little painful. 
But there's so much good news for us at Christmas time. If you're the kind of person that, that is aware that you're not all that you could be, that you're not all that you'd like to be, there's good news for you because of Christmas. Because a Savior has been born and God's grace has appeared in Jesus Christ in such a way that we can be changed from who we once were to become how God desires us to be as those that live a life passionate for good works, a good life, a rich life. So I want us to consider this as we look at three points this morning. We're going to look at the way that God's grace has appeared. One, to train us. Two, to renounce evil. And three, to live what is good. His grace has come to train us to renounce evil and to live for what is good. So look at our first point. God's grace has appeared to train us. Look at verses 11 and the first uh, couple words of verse 12. But the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. God's grace trains us, Paul says. And we're familiar with the word train, I think. Usually we think about it in, not usually, but at least one of the major ways we think about it is in relationship to becoming more fit, right? There's a one of the more muscular elders of Christ City Church, uh, he goes to the, the South Vancouver Church. He's invited me a few times to go to train on Maine with him to, to his gym. And you can see I've refused diligently, right? You know, here I am, my, my thin, skinny self. I've not gone. And you can think about different kinds of, of, of training that we go through in our lives. Maybe to run a five-kilometer race or a marathon or to, I don't know, have a new diet, something like that. We train to try to improve ourselves in those ways. But in the ancient Greek context that this word came from, it was a little bit different. This word training, it had to do primarily with training children to be productive members of a virtuous society. It's a word that was about training kids to grow up to be good citizens, to have a society that was good. See, training in that ancient context was all about being trained to become a certain type of person in this world. A person who was a good person, who lived a good life. Training's about becoming a good person. And I'm wondering this morning if you can relate to that. Maybe there's been things that that you've tried in your own life to train yourself as a good person. I'm wondering what gym membership for a better humanity you subscribe to. Maybe it's education. And you think the more that I can learn, the more knowledge I can consume, the more degrees I can get, that that's going to work out. And if we do that as a society, it's going to work out for the better. And, and it's going to be good. Or maybe it's uh, kind of more the school of hard knocks approach. Right? And you think... If we just keep on keeping on and learn the lessons that come our way, well, you know, it's going to work out okay, right? And it'll produce the good in me that I desire. Or maybe you've kind of given up on those things and you're looking for a good therapist, right? And you're thinking that's going to be the route that that produces good in my life and the lives of others. Or maybe you're into this place of, you know, no tough responsibilities the way. Got to take responsibility for my actions and determine my own destiny. And and if we do that, if I do that, if you do that, then it's going to work out okay. We'll all be good people and it will be a good society. 
Or maybe you're one of those people that just like to construct these strict rules and laws that govern your life. And the more you live under them, you think that, well, that will make me a good person. I'm wondering how those gym memberships are going for you. How's it working out? What would your family and your friends and your close coworkers say about how that gym membership's working out? Right. Would they say, hey, hey, the, the, the training the training's going pretty great. I can see it in your life. Or, or would they say something else as they look at you and see you in the most intimate context of your life? How these things that you've subscribed to, they've made you less selfish and more sacrificially loving. I think it's true uh, that there's different things that we can do that will help us look good from the outside for a little while. But when the pressure comes to, to live a, a good life and, and we realize that, that, you know, there's these now hardships that I'm facing, what's really inside of us can kind of come outside of us in these surprising ways, right? We manage to kind of keep the veneer on the exterior, but then the suffering and the hardship comes and the lack of sleep shows up and the disease arrives in our lives. And actually it, it brings what's inside of us outside of us. And we realize we've not been trained in the ways that we like to be trained. I have a, I have a, a bit of a corny illustration, but I like this one. Um, it's kind of like this cup, right? There's ways that we can, we can train ourselves. We can keep ourselves contained through different external modifications, behavior modification in our lives that we can try to live under. But if it doesn't deal with the inside of the cup, then there's a problem. Because like when hardship comes, right, and, and difficulty shows up in our lives, what's inside, it spills out. I wonder if you've experienced that in your own life. I know I've experienced it in my life. I mean, my family is all sick at home right now, and we've not been sleeping very much. And you can imagine some of the things that, that happen in our home when we're pressed. And when the, the lack of the heart transformation that we need is starting to, to come out of us. See, when it comes to living a good life that is more than just an external veneer, that you try to hold on with this white knuckle grip to make yourself look good, the only thing that's capable of training you is grace. Only grace can train you deeply and inwardly so that you're truly changed. Only grace can train you like you need to be trained. And Paul knew this. It's actually why he wrote to Pastor Titus in this letter. He's writing to Pastor Titus and Titus has got all kinds of problems in the church. He's pastoring these Cretans and the Cretans, you might know this, Cretan is actually even still a slur. You can talk about someone being a Cretan to refer to how terrible their moral character is. Right? And this is a problem in, in, in the church that, that Paul was facing and or that Titus was facing. And Paul said, you know what? There's one thing that can change the Cretans. It's grace. There is good news that we can be changed by grace. Look what Paul says. He, he tells Titus all the encouraging things and, and the ways that he wants him to instruct the church and Crete, and he's confident that it will work because of grace. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. There's hope, Christ City. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. 
And we could ask the question, why does God's grace train us? What is it that it does? Well, God's grace is such an incredible trainer because it penetrates through that cold exterior deep into the inward person. And it changes us on the inside by astonishing us with his love for us. By awing us and captivating us by how good he is and how much he has loved us. And when that happens, actually, our inward desires start to change. So that we no longer want to live the life that we were living, but we want to deeply and inwardly please God and to follow him. See, his love for us and his grace is incredible because he's given grace, he's given grace to us who don't deserve it. And because his grace has cost him so much. So there's two things I want to unpack there about God's grace and why it's so incredible and how that works. And I want to show you just this unbelievable grace that's been given to those that don't deserve it. I'm going to show you the way that it costs God so much. So first, let's look at the grace given to those that don't deserve it. I want you to stop at this moment and just think about your gift list right now. And think about those that you're buying your gifts for. It's probably true that you're buying gifts this Christmas season for people that that ought to love you, right? Maybe they don't, but they probably should. You're buying gifts for those that you ought to love. Maybe you don't, but you probably should. You know, is that generally true for your gift list? This is who your gift list is made up of. But that's not who God gives his gift of salvation to. See, his salvation is a gift of astounding love and grace given to those who didn't deserve it. Given to these unexpected people who would never, naturally speaking, have thought that they could have it. And God gives it to them anyway. And I know that we like to think of ourselves as people that God should just love, right? I like to think of myself that way. God just really should love me. Come on, like, it's me, God. (laughs) Just naturally speaking, I'm pretty attractive and cute, you know, right? I don't do that many bad things. Like, you gotta be for me, God. But that's not the right way of thinking about ourselves apart from the grace of God. See, apart from God's grace, you're actually far worse than you realize, not better than you realize. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this super clearly. And he said, this is who we really are. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We wanted to do what's wrong passionately opposing God and pursuing our sin, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And those are some pretty powerful words that Paul uses. He says, you were dead apart from the grace of God. He says, in your sin, you're not just this beautiful person waiting for God to notice you and love you. He says, you're a corpse. He says, you're a corpse. And in verse 3, he says, we were by nature children of wrath. So you're a corpse under the judgment of God. Apart from the grace of God. And Paul says, we're those who follow the course of this world, not God. That's another way of saying that we 
Go along with the spirit of the age. What everyone else around it, us is doing, we're just going to go along with it. Even if our own consciences are pricked and we're convicted and we think that, that's not right, we'd rather fit in with what's happening than to stand out and, and to go with what God has called us to. And Paul says, this is who we are. We're dead in, in our sin, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath at the rest of mankind. Grace City, it's, it's heavy, but I want you to hear that. And I want you to let it sink in this morning. Because your sin really matters, even if you'd rather ignore it. And the reality is that one day, Jesus will come again. Advent means arrival, and we are between the advents of Christ. He's come, but the King of Kings is coming again. And all of us will stand before him and give an account of our lives. We don't like talking about sin. We don't like talking about Judgment, we'd kind of like to have a, an edit function in Christian vocabulary in the scriptures that gets rid of those words. But sin is the bad news that we must admit about ourselves before we can receive God's grace. This is the reality in the teaching of the scriptures. See, our sins, they rightly deserve to be buried under the weight of God's holy justice. But grace... Grace is so powerful precisely because grace is God's determination to extravagantly love and bless the undeserving. To bless us. To shower us who are undeserving with mercy and with love. To bless his enemies, to the unfaithful spouses, to the bitter and rebellious children, to the self-righteous and hypocritical religious people like we so often are to the selfish citizens who ignore the needs of their neighbors and greedily want more for themselves, despite our sin, God passionately loves us. Christ City, God loves you deeply, passionately. If you don't know that this morning, I, I just want to tell you, like, do you know how much this God loves you? He is so unbelievably for you. You you can't get your mind around it. And Jesus' appearance, born in the manger, is a proof. Grace has come for you. See, the thing that's incredible about grace is first who it's given to. It's given to the undeserving. But the second thing that's so incredible about grace is what it cost our glorious God of love. It's a costly gift. This, uh, this last summer, I was thinking about, well, this, I was just thinking this week about this cost to grace, but this last summer, there's a story that I want to use to illustrate it. And the story is that my son, um, he made a little bit of money over the summer and there's a lot of time in that summer. It was very entertaining to kind of hear all the ways that my son wanted to spend that money. So we talk about various things and, and, uh, and then he'd discuss, you know, I'd like to do this with the money. I'd like to do this with the money. Um, but one day he overheard Heather and I talking about our, our grocery bills because of inflation. And, and my sweet little son, he, he runs up 
He's like, Dad, like, I, I could buy the groceries. And I, I did assure him, you know, you can keep your money, son. Like, I, I, I love you. You know, we don't need this. But it was so sweet because in this conversation, he's like, I'm going to give everything that I have to love mom and dad. You see, Christ, the miracle of our salvation, it began with a gift that was so much more precious than my son's offer. The God who's worthy of worship by everyone and everything. God who has only ever existed in eternity in perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He gave himself to us to save us. What's the price of your salvation? It's that God gave himself to accomplish it. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just the birth of an exceptional human child. The birth of Jesus Christ was the birth of God. The uniting of holy, omnipotent God. God taking humanity to himself. Being born in human nature as a person. Born as a human being, born as part of his creation. And as a gift of love for us to save us, God chose to become weak. God chose to be mocked, to be killed, to be maligned and spit upon to save you. Running around 411 AD, that's a long time ago, by the way. St. Augustine, he just worships God for this incredible gift of love in a sermon he preached. I'm going to read you a section of it. I want you to just marvel at the grace that's given to you. Hear these words. He says, man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might be hungry, the fountain thirst, the light sleep the way be tired from the journey, that the truth might be accused by false witnesses, the judge of the living and the dead be judged by a mortal judge, justice be sentenced by the unjust, the teacher be beaten with whips, the vine be crowned with thorns, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might be made weak, that he who makes well might be wounded, that life might die. He was made man to suffer these and similar undeserved things for us, that he might free us who were undeserving. And he who on account of us endured such great evils merited no evil. While we who through him were so bountifully blessed had no merits to show for such a blessing. Therefore, because of all this, he who before all ages and without a beginning determined by days was the son of God, saw fit in these latter days to be the son of man. And he who was born of the father, but not made by the father, was made in the mother whom he had made. That he might sometime be born here on earth of her who could never have been anywhere except through him. God loves you. And Jesus is the proof. 
because Jesus is the advent of God's grace. And all our training that we work so hard at, all that it can accomplish is just some adjustments on the outsides of our lives. It can't fix what's inside. But you know what can? Grace. The gift of God. Marveling at the goodness of God for us in Jesus Christ. See, grace gets at the roots that we can't reach and it pulls them up and it replaces them with roots that are, that are fixed deep on the love of God for us in Christ Jesus to, to change our lives, to transform who we are. And as grace begins to work on our hearts, there's two things that happen. We see this in this text. First, we willingly renounce what is evil. Grace works in us. I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I want to be done with the evil. And second, we joyfully live for what is good. I want to follow God. I want to live a life that is pleasing to him. I want you to look at our next point then. God's grace has appeared to train us to renounce evil in verse 12. God's grace has appeared, look at verse 11 and 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. See, to renounce something is to turn your back on it. To renounce something is to resign something, usually by a formal declaration, right? So you have to renounce the citizenship sometimes if you're going to go into a new country. Uh, at Christmas time, just be aware this doesn't work for credit card debt. So just be careful about how you spend your money right now, all right? You, you just can't, you know, like the, like the Michael Scott, I declare bankruptcy. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But as Paul says that grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Two things. Ungodliness is the way that we are just so fixated in our lives on doing things our way and not God's way, right? It's ungodliness, not godliness. We just want to do things our human-centered way. And worldly passions are the ways that we desire. We're, we're passionate about doing the things that are opposed to God. Right? We feel that in our lives. We, we, we just love those things. But grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions where on our own we are unable. Now, I'm wondering if you've noticed how unable you are. I'm wondering if you've noticed those moments in your life when, when even if you want, right, you, you, like, I, I want to be done with the sin, on your own you're unable to, to turn away from it because if you're really honest, you can't renounce it. Right? Not like that. Because if you're really honest and you're looking at the thing, like, I'd like to forgive so-and-so, but if I'm honest, I really like being bitter. I'd like to say no to this sin, but if I'm honest, I really like how it makes me feel. And so even though you kind of want to, you hang on to it. Right? Because on our own, we can't renounce it and release it and let go of it. But grace is incredible because grace can cause us to let go. And there's a really good illustration for this. And there's a couple. Uh, I'm throwing this one in. Here's a freebie, not on my notes. It's like that, like the, like the parable of the dog. You know, you know the dog on the bridge, right? And, uh, and it has the, the branch in its mouth or whatever, and it sees that the, the bone or whatever floating underneath the thing, and he barks because he wants the other thing, and he lets go of what's in his mouth to, to pick up the other thing. 
right? I think there's a great way that grace works a little bit like that. We have something better offered to us in God, and we are able to let go of what we have to have it. There's a better illustration, the one I meant to tell. Uh, so I'm way off my notes now. I'm going to go back to what I meant to say. Um, the illustration that I had in mind, it was about the changing of the seasons. And I'm wondering if you've noticed the way that sometimes when the seasons change, there are those couple trees that you see that retain a couple of their brown leaves. It seems like no matter what happens, right? The temperatures drop, the wind comes, storms hit from the West Coast, and these brown leaves just stick around, right? And that the tree hangs on to them. And it isn't until the warmth of the spring, the sun comes out, the warmth happens, the sap stops flowing, and suddenly the tree releases these leaves, Right, And they, they fall to the ground because instead of those crappy old dried up dead leaves, they have this canopy of greenery that's offered in its place. I think that grace is a little bit like that in our lives. Think that, that God's grace trains us to renounce the dry dead leaves of sin by giving us something so much better. By, by showering us with his love, by, as Romans 5 verse 5 says, that the love of God being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's he, whom he's given to us. And that just like brings warmth to our lives. It starts to change us and, and work in us so we let go of the sin because something so much better has come in its place. And when our hearts then are warmed by this grace, we learn to say no to sin. It's not all at once, let's be honest. It doesn't happen instantly. You're not a perfect person overnight. But as an ongoing practice of our lives, returning again and again to grace. We're trained to to recall grace to our minds when we're tempted. And we we pray things like this. God, right right now I'm, I'm facing this temptation. But you loved me and you gave yourself for me. So how can I oppose you? Jesus, you freed me from my slavery to sin and you've given me life. I believe that. I know that to be true. So why am I going back to my former slave master? Jesus, you've purified me to belong to you. So why would I defile myself again with sin? Because of all of this, because of the grace that I know to be true for me, Jesus, I want to confess and I want to renounce my sin to churn my back on it today because of the greater reality of your love for me. You know, I I was praying that this week, Friday, first time day off, just feeling like all kinds of terrible things and, and battling all day long until I stopped and recalled grace and prayed. So God, I don't want to just turn halfway. I want to renounce this and turn towards you. It's not something that's one and done. This is a daily practice in the life of a Christian, renouncing sin, turning towards God's grace and his love for you. You know, Christ City, I think that we need to know that Paul's words here matter. And we need to know that there is no salvation in Jesus Christ that avoids renouncing what's opposed to him. I think it's true that we'd like to avoid talk of sin, judgment. We'd also like to have all the good of grace without any of the renouncing. But it doesn't work that way. 
Jesus' birth is the announcement that there is a new and a better king who's entered this world. The king of kings is Jesus. And he is coming again. And that means that it's important for us in our lives to to think this through. To ask God for clarity to, to help us to zero in on those areas of our life where we don't have allegiance to Jesus. Where we're living in ways that are opposed to our king. To ask him to change our hearts so that we would follow him loyally and faithfully. Isn't it true that there's areas in your life as there are in mine where you're just kind of embarrassed to be following Jesus? Christ City, I think we need to turn our backs on that. I think we need to confess our allegiance to King Jesus with courage and with boldness because he's come in his grace and his love and his mercy. And we are his citizens. We belong to him and to his kingdom now. Can we grow in this? Let's press forward. King Jesus is our king. There's nothing more incredible than that. So let's live for him with all of our hearts. See, grace trains us first to renounce sin, but it moves us from our sin towards something far better. And if you spend all your time in your Christian life just trying to stop sinning, you're missing the best stuff about living for Jesus. Right? This is a, a step on the path to living a rich and gloriously good and virtuous life that matters. We renounce sin to live for what is good. Our last point in verses 12 to 14. Grace has come training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. As we wait, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, renunciation is the first step, but it's not the goal. You can even see that grammatically in how the Greek's constructed here. It's like, that's important, but we're getting somewhere. And the getting somewhere is the live part, living for God. And first, grace trains us to be self-controlled, Paul says. And that's pretty interesting, I think. Because without self-control, we would be unable to live an upright and a godly life. Because to live an upright and a godly life that's zealous for good works, you got to practice self-denial. <laughs> you got to practice some self-control. Just think about it for a second. It's Christmas time. It's a season of feasting. What's going to be happening on January 1st when we all gather at Christ City East Vancouver if none of us have self-control? We're going to show up hungover and fat and, uh, and in debt. Right? That's what's going to happen with, with no self-control as we show up there. And the reality is that if we live that way, and we don't have any self-denial. What else will have happened is this. We won't have done any good through the Christmas season. Because we'll have been too focused on just satisfying our own desires. Here's the reality. In our world, we live under the tyranny of immediate satisfaction of our desires. So what we want, we got Amazon, comes to the doorway. Whatever I could imagine is going to come to me instantly. If I can't have it right now, whether it's Netflix or Amazon, whatever else, then I'm unhappy. But the virtuous, godly life that is good, that produces something of value in this world, it needs self-control. Without self-control, there's only hypocrisy. 
This is why all the private jets show up to the climate conferences, right? Because it's like, hey, it'd be good to, you know, reduce our carbon footprint. And yet, <laughs> and yet it's also good to have a private jet. <laughs> and which will I choose? You know, like self-control is needed here. Without self-control, you won't fight to overcome evil with good. Without self-control, you won't forgive those who've hurt you. Without self-control, you won't speak well of others with words of encouragement intended to build up rather than tear down, as Paul teaches in Ephesians 4. Without self-control, you won't sacrifice what you have at great cost to love and to serve someone else. But grace can train us in self-control. Because in grace, we see this immense cost that God himself was willing to spend. That there's this great self-denial we see even in God who, who became man and gave himself and suffered to save us. In the words of 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, we see him who was rich become poor so that we by his poverty might become rich. And we learn, I can imitate him. I can have self-control because my God sacrificed and loved me like that. Grace trains us in self-control in another fundamentally important way because grace shows us that there is something much more satisfying than fulfilling your next immediate desire. Grace teaches you that God is good. As the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's better food to be fed on in this world than the thing you want most next. See, grace trains our palates. We have this, this palate now that can appreciate the best flavors, the flavors of God. Look at Psalm 63, verses 1 to 4. Watch the way that the, the psalmist has had his palate to hunger and to thirst after God who's better by far. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Christ said, you let grace, let the rehearsing of the grace of God for you in Christ Jesus day by day, let it train your appetites like this. So that you hunger and thirst for what is more deeply satisfying than anything else in this world so that you then will be able to live a self-controlled life sustained and fed on the grace of God that's in Jesus Christ. A rich life. This isn't a life of asceticism. This is a life of rejoicing and joy eternal but a life that can then move forward and live uprightly and in godly ways that are blessings to others as we live zealous for good works. See, Paul says grace has appeared to train us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And Paul should know because it's what happened to him. See, Paul lived an unbelievable life as a follower of Jesus. Paul lived this remarkable life as a follower of Jesus. He was bold and he was courageous in his faith. 
He was a spiritual father to thousands of people. He planted hundreds of churches and he suffered for it. He wouldn't have done it if he had just watched Netflix and bought things on Amazon, right? That wouldn't have been possible. No, he suffered for it. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was opposed. He was mocked. He was shipwrecked three times, by the way. It's a lot of times to be shipwrecked. And he did all so that other people might know Jesus Christ. And the only reason that he did any of this was because of the grace of God that he had received. See, Paul was awed that God would love him. You see, before Paul became a church planter and a missionary, Paul was a zealous Jewish religious leader called a Pharisee. And the book of Acts tells us that Paul devoted himself to extinguishing the early church. He oversaw their imprisonments. He even stood there, we know in Acts 7, and, and gave uh, credence to or gave authority to and, and allowed the deaths of Christians, the executions of Christians. So this is who Paul was. And, and yet, even though this is who he was, one day, he's traveling to Damascus, Jesus comes to Paul. He appears to him. And he appears to him not to condemn him like his sin deserved, but to save him. And Paul was flabbergasted. He says, how could God love me? I've done so much wrong. How could God save me who have been so evil? This is why that thread of grace is through every letter that Paul would ever write. Because the grace that he preached was the grace that he knew. And this grace, it trained him to be zealous for good works. And in this moment, this summary in his life that we'll get to in a few weeks in 1 Corinthians in 15 verses 9 to 10, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then he says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Christ, did he marvel at the grace of God for you in Christ Jesus? And when, then when faced with a choice in your life to do good or to remain in your selfishness, remember, God has given himself for me. God Most High has sacrificed himself that I might live. And now by that life and by that grace given to me, God, fill my heart with love to love this other person. Let your grace so change me that I would become like you in this world. See, our problem as human beings is our slavery to sin. We want to sin, but in our sin, we live boring, unexceptional, unexceptional lives that only perpetuate suffering and evil. It's what we do. It's called it like it is. They're boring lives. They don't amount to much. But because of the grace that is ours in the gospel, we can live exceptional, remarkable lives, every single one of us, regardless of our ability, regardless of our intelligence or our appearance, all because of the grace of God that's been given to us. 
And it starts first just by acknowledging our sin to God, saying, God, like, I admit it. This is who I am. (laughs) Would you save me? And accepting the free grace as a gift that he offers you. God, I see that you love me. It's hard for me to get my heart, my mind around it, but I accept. (laughs) Save me. I want to run to you and be yours. Thank you. And receiving that gift will change you. Christy, I want to encourage you that this grace is a practiced grace. It's a grace that is a rehearsed grace. I want to encourage you, if you think that that you can go to the gym and go once every two months and hope that there'll be change in your life, you're a fool. In the same way, if you think that you can walk the Christian life and just remember grace once every once in a while, you're a fool. This grace is a grace that we rehearse together as a community of believers. It's a grace that we live together on Sunday mornings. We gather as a worshiping community, rejoicing that God has loved us. I want to encourage you, prioritize this gathering. You need it to be changed. You need it to be useful to God and to live a life of good works that glorifies him. I want to encourage you to read your Bibles. If you don't read your Bibles, open them up, start in the Gospels, learn about Jesus. Rejoice in the grace of God that's yours in him. Give yourself to prayer. Start journaling if you have to. I've been doing that recently. Open up a page and and write down some thoughts to God and, and express your thanks to him. Cultivating a relationship with God that's designed and built around grace, that is the thing that all of us need. And as a community, we can encourage and bless one another as we practice this grace together. Confessing our sins to one another, reminding one another of how much God loves us. And being encouraged to step out, to put sin to death, to live for what is good. Can we pray together? God, we want to be a salt and light people. God, we want to be this people that just rejoice in the grace you've given to us. God, we want to be so full of good works here at Christ City and Kitsilano that, that all of Kitsilano around would see our lives and would rejoice in what God's doing in them. Lord, we want to live in a different way so that uh, we can share what we found in Jesus with everybody around us. God, we want to have allegiance to King Jesus over anything else. And Lord, we confess that we have so much sin that's in the way, but there's hope for us and we want to just hold fast to your grace and rejoice. You forgive us. You love us. You change us. So would you help us? Help us to remember your goodness. Help us to live by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.